appreciate that. It was very much the work of the Lord in my own heart uh, in high school at a retreat where the Lord captured my heart. And so we do believe that the Lord will work this weekend as well through his word and through the prayers of his people. Why don't you, uh, if you would, grab your Bibles and join me. And however you're looking at the Bible in, looking at together at, at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We've been for weeks now in this part of a series of recognizing that as ones who walk with Jesus, the need to mature, that we start out as infants in Christ, but we're not to stay as infants. We're not to stay as children. We're to grow up into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And part of maturity in Christ is this word. And this is the word we're going to give ourselves to this morning. Endurance. The mature endure. And I think that as we engage this word this morning in endurance, it's so essential because of this. Everyone faces the temptation to quit. Everybody faces the temptation to quit in their spiritual walk. Now, you may go, oh, no, 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 I I don't want to quit. To which I would go, now, right? You don't want to now. And maybe you can never remember of time, or maybe you're thinking quitting equals devil worshiper. I'm not saying that everybody faces the temptation to become a devil worshiper. I am saying that everybody in their spiritual journey, sometimes early on, because part of a, being a child is children want to quit. They just, when it gets hard, you want to quit. Part of maturing is enduring, but even the mature at times want to quit. Why do I think that? Well, if you're in your Bible in Hebrews 12... If you go back one chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, you probably, many of you anyway, know that chapter 11 is a list of many men and women as well who in the face of very difficult circumstances, in the face of when you and I probably would have quit, they endured in faith. It's it's what some call the, the hall of faith. Uh, those who have fantastic stories of endurance. Chapter 11 in Hebrews exists because of what is happening at the end of chapter 10. See how we're working backwards? He writes a, chapter 12, what we're going to study, coming out of chapter 11, the hall of faith. And he wrote chapter 11 because of what was happening in chapter 10. Now, let me state something that sometimes it's so obvious we miss it. The letter, the book of Hebrews, you know why it's called Hebrews? Not a coffee shop. Why is it called Hebrews? Because it was written specifically for those who had grown up in a Jewish custom and had converted to following Jesus. If you've ever read as a Gentile, and the vast majority of us are Gentiles, if you've ever read Hebrews, you've read some stuff that you go, I don't understand. And you don't understand what they're talking about, the sacrificial system and blood and goats and bulls, and you don't understand the tabernacle. Why don't you get that? Because you're not Jewish. See, most Gentiles have to spend their whole time in the book of Hebrews trying to figure out what they're actually talking about. And Hebrews, Jewish people would have said, no, this was our part of our life. We are seeing how Christ is indeed the sacrifice for sins once for all. How he is the better, the greater high priest. So these were Jewish folks who had walked with Jesus, believed in Jesus, and then here's what happened. Here's where I want you to see. The end of chapter 10 now, so if you've been working your way backwards, the end of chapter 10, start in verse 32. 
The writer says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, the the Holy Spirit opened your eyes that Jesus is the Messiah. You endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You see what he's saying? Some of you suffered for following Jesus, and others of you carried the weight of others who suffered for following Jesus. See, this is a little bit uh, out of our realm of experience. Very few of us have really suffered for following Jesus. Specifically, You showed sympathy to the prisoners. I don't know anybody in here has been imprisoned for their faith, but that was their experience. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Okay, stop right there. That's a hard one. I just, when I read that, and I'm not just reading words, when I think, they took your property. Not legally, not rightfully. They took your property to persecute you for believing in Jesus. You'd be ticked, right? Oh, quit it, right? Yes, yes, you'd be in the streets. You'd be waving signs. You'd be mad as a hornet. They took my property. Joyfully, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing, why? Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession. They can take my property because in Jesus I have something far greater than property. (laughs) See, we can say we believe it, but once they steal our stuff or take our stuff, then then we'll find out whether we think which is better. They joyfully accepted it because we we have something better and a lasting one. Go ahead and take our rusty stuff or our stuff that's going to rot or the stuff that's going to burn up. Go ahead and take that because we have something far greater. But now watch. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So I think what he's saying is this. You joyfully did this. But now some are losing confidence, feeling the weight of the loss, feeling the impact of the persecution. And he says, you have need of endurance. See, I don't know how to measure my maturity against their maturity. I know it'd be hard for me to joyfully accept the seizure of my property. So I'm going to put them probably as more mature than me. More mature than me. And what do they need? Endurance. Why? Because what do we start with? Everyone faces the temptation to, to quit. You have needed endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, if you were to answer this question, I feel like quitting when... See, if if I was to ask them, Hebrews chapter 10, when do you feel like quitting? What did the text reveal? I'm tempted to quit when, when I'm persecuted, right? I get that. I'd be tempted to throw it in. But that's not part of the vast majority of your experience. And yet you're tempted to quit. When are you tempted to quit? I don't I just, yeah. Take, take 30 seconds and write it down. Seriously. When, when are you tempted to quit? See, if, we don't, if, we don't enga- if you don't engage in this moment, the, then the rest of the text is just theoretical. But if you can go, honestly, here's when I, when I was tempted to quit. Tempted to quit walking with the Lord. Tempted to quit just, why don't I just, why do I keep going to church? Why do I keep reading my Bible? 
Why am I even serving? When are you tempted to quit? I know when I am. And I don't feel like I'm making a difference. When you go through the motion week after week and week after week and it's like, are lives actually being changed or are we just doing church? That's when I'm tempted to quit. Lord gave me a great gift. Thursday night, two gals came up and said, this is our first time. We have watched all of Genesis together, taking notes together. This is our first time live at one of the services here. And she said, you know what I hated? There's no pause button when you're live. <laughs> She's like, when I'm watching, I could hit pause button and I could take my notes. And I wanted to shout from the back, pause. <laughs> and she said, She's doing, making a difference. Hey, maybe you don't relate to that. But when I feel like, man, I'm making a difference. Why am I doing this? I feel like quitting when I don't feel like I'm making a difference. Or when I get tired or when it gets hard. Or uh, I see others not honoring Jesus but prospering. That'll take you off. That'll make you mad. I'm trying to honor you, Lord, and other people are prospering. If you ever wrestle with this one, Psalm 73. Read Psalm 73, really. This is exactly what Psalm 73 is about. A guy who's watching people who don't honor Jesus prospering, and he's about to throw in the towel. Because everybody's tempted to quit. I continually fail. And my failure says to me, hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. Regrettably, I know a number of guys who have, who have quit because their continual failure in the area of lust just made them go, either it's not real or I can't get it right, but this just doesn't work. And it was continual failure in the screaming sense of, I'm a hypocrite. Or maybe you feel like you're working harder than those around you. And it's like, why am I doing this? Why don't I just put it in cruise like everybody else? Now, maybe yours didn't show up on the list. But see, the, again, I don't want this to be theoretical. The mature endure, but you're not going to endure unless you have an honest look at your own life and go, here's when I get tempted to quit. Maybe you wrote down, when other people walk away. When other people quit, that causes me to want to quit. Or when it seems like God never answers my prayers. You know, Matt talking about prayer, and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I've prayed for this person for six years, and, and zippo. What are we doing? You want to quit, right? So, what this text is about that we're going to look at is if I'm going to mature, I have to to learn to build my spiritual endurance. Every person who does any workout or running or physical endurance understands endurance doesn't just happen. It's, there's practical steps to take. And if that's true physically, that's true spiritually. So Lord, uh, we're about to look at these two verses now. And... They'll just be words. They'll just be another list. Unless by your spirit, hungry hearts, prone to, to be tempted to quit, receive these words and, and take active response to what you say. So I pray that you'd meet with us, not just to hear things, but to, that we would be 
transformed by your word. We'd be changed. We'd, we would think differently, engage differently moving forward based on what your scripture says about endurance. I ask it in Jesus' name. Therefore, he says, you need endurance. What do you do in chapter 11? He gave a long list of people who endured. And then he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Five very practical steps. First, if we're going to endure, one of the practical steps we have to take is to build a team of witnesses. Surround yourself with a team of witnesses. That's, that's what he does for them in chapter 11. He builds a team of witnesses that will surround them. Now understand, when I say witnesses, I don't mean watchers. Witnesses is people who are watching. I mean speakers, people who are telling you that which you need to hear when you're tempted to quit. Speakers. Not watchers, speakers. See, to endure, we all need some speakers into our lives. So Thursday afternoon, we did a, a memorial service in here for a gal named Christine Johns. Second service I've done in 2024 for a mom still in her 40s who died. And her story was, for the first 40 plus years of her life, she didn't know the Lord. And then she got cancer. And she determined, I'll beat it. I can handle it. And she realized, I can't. Five years ago, because of cancer in her life, she reached out to our Hope Center, not as a believer, but as an unbeliever, and discovered a relationship with Jesus. And she was born again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be hesitant to applaud about a person being born again. And it wasn't, it wasn't oh, maybe Jesus will be my secret sauce to get rid of my cancer. In fact, we showed a testimony in 2020 in here as part of our Genesis study where she said, actually, I'm not sure I'll ever ask the Lord to completely take my cancer away because it has been that which has brought me to Jesus and keeps me dependent upon Jesus. See, that's totally different than Jesus is my secret sauce. Now, what she discovered was Jesus was her, her life. And seated right over here was her team. The vast majority of the room were, were folks who had been involved with her the first 40 plus years of her life. Over here, the last five years, her team, her family group. And what they tell her for the last five years. What do you tell somebody? <sighs> Endure. The Lord loves you. The Lord has not forgotten you. The Lord has not turned his back on you. Her favorite verse from Psalm 73. Though my heart and my flesh may fail, God is the strength of my heart 
and my portion forever. See, physically she was failing, but supernaturally the Lord was strengthening her in the midst of her failing, and she had a team that kept reminding her, he's worthy. He is worthy. Don't give up your confidence. We can tell ourselves that, but sometimes what do we need? We need speakers who, when we're tempted to quit, that will remind us, when we don't believe ourselves anymore, who will help us. This is why when Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he's telling them to excel still more, don't stop, don't quit, excel still more. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted. Because all of us are faint-hearted at times. We don't like grow out of faint-heartedness. There's circumstances sometimes in life, there's hardships in life, where we become faint-hearted, and we need others. We need a team. So, I know I'm spending a lot of minutes here, but I have a huge concern about the way church often happens in America right now. The way church often happens is it's this gathering space of hundreds of people who have an experience together and then they go home and live separate lives. And that is not the church the way we see it birthed in the book of Acts. What we see them gathering for instruction. It's not that it's bad to have a large gathering and experience instruction and worship together. It's that if that is the only part of our Christian experience, we're missing that day by day they shared meals together. They were encouraging one another day by day. That outside of this room, you need a team. Not because you're supposed to be in a small group. It's not like Galatians 4, 7 says, thou shalt be in a small group. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't join a group because we're supposed to be in a group. We join a group, why? Because we will always have moments where we are faint-hearted and we'll need others to encourage us and others will be faint-hearted and it will be our term, turn to be the, to be the team to be the encourager. And if you wait until you feel like you need it, you will have not built the, the camaraderie and chemistry that happens with a team. Am I begging you enough? I'm not, I'm not ashamed to beg you to surround yourself with a team. who will pray for you, who will encourage you. Because there's going to be a moment coming where you're going to want to quit. And you're going to need some speakers in your life. Don't be alone. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also... So not only build a team, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Again, not just a list. I recognize that endurance requires addressing the encumbrances, the hindrances that keep me from enduring. This is where the physical helps us again. You just, none of us see long distance endurance runners who aren't trim. They kind of go hand in hand, right? Why? Because physically speaking, it's hard to endure when you got extra weight. Well, so what's that mean spiritually? Jesus uh, tells parables in his ministry. Parables are simply understood as this. They are true to life stories, uh, true to life stories that reveal spiritual realities. 
And one of the, the parables he gives is the parable of the sower and the soils. And it goes like this. There's a sower. And he goes out and he throws out seed. And Jesus interprets the parable and he says, in this story, the spiritual reality is the seed is the word of God. And as he throws out the word of God, it falls on different types of soil, hearts. Some hearts, some people hear the word of God and it falls on a hard heart and it just bounces off. Other people have what he calls rocky hearts where it, it takes, it falls in that soil and it grows up quickly, but as soon as it gets hot, as soon as any heat gets applied to it, it withers away and dies. And then he says there's a third soil that is thorny and it grows up and it's green but there's never any tomatoes on the plant. <laughs> Ever have one of those plants? Really green, looks awesome, you can't wait, and then there's no tomatoes. It's a nice tree, but there's no apples on it. And then there's the fourth soil, good soil, where it's not only a great plant, but fruitful. Why, why am I bringing us here? Because he says, the seed which Jesus, which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, they've heard the word of God, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. They don't endure. Why? Because thorns in the garden are like weights to the runner. See, this is what I'm connecting. Thorns in the garden are like weights to the runner. Thorns end up choking out a plant bringing forth maturity like weights to a runner calls them to go, ah, this is just too hard. I'm gonna stop. And why I wanted to see this is because uh, what do you mean? What are the weights that may encumber us? And Jesus defines uh, these things that hinder maturity. Uh, they may be worries. They may be riches. They may be pleasures. Things that aren't in and of themselves inherently wrong, but they may end up being the very things that keep us from enduring. So we look like a good plant, but never bring forth maturity. Thorns are to the garden like weights are to the runner. They hinder maturity. And the weights, the thorns, since they're equivalent, they may be worries in our life. They may be riches in our life, pleasures in our life. That keep us, what? From enduring. Now let me acknowledge. It takes some maturity. Do I have your eyes? It takes some maturity to be able to discern in your life. Are these gifts of God that I'm free to enjoy? Or have they turned into weights that are keeping me from enduring? And it can change. In other words, it could be that five years ago, pleasures were gifts of God for me to enjoy. And now they've become weights in my life. So it takes some maturity for you to discern. You could use a team. Not only to encourage you, but to help discern if gifts have turned into weights that are keeping you from enduring. So build a team. 
witnesses, speakers who will encourage us. Let us lay aside the hindrances that are keeping us from keeping on and the sin which so easily entangles us. For each of us, this is a strong word that we must deal with our, our entangling sin. I don't think, some would disagree with me here, but I don't think the entangling sin he's references is the same for everybody. There's a sin that easily entangles me. There's a sin that easily entangles you. And there's a sin that easily entangles you. And here's the thing, most of you really know what it is. We tend to think, oh, this entangling sin, it keeps tripping me up. Well, now that's long gone. Once I, once, as I mature, that's not actually true. Actually, your entangling sin is often an enslaving sin. Entangling sin, enslaving sins are realities in the lives of otherwise very mature followers of Jesus. Did you hear that? See what happens. Remember our journey? I'm dead in my sins. Then I understand that Jesus has done for me something I could not do for myself. And I embrace him as my savior. And he makes me a new person. I'm now a child of God. And the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And the word of God now speaks into my life. And I begin, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, new things have come. I begin to change. And here's what can happen. Many areas of my life can be changed. Bad things, things that were destructive being removed from my life. Good things that were absent becoming a part of my life. But one area, one sin. Though nine of the ten have been dealt with, there's one enslaving sin. See, it really can be true that an otherwise mature believer has an enslaving sin. And, and here's the difficulty. The more I change in every other way, the more secretive that enslaving sin is because everybody thinks, oh, no, I'm mature, so I can't have an enslaving sin. But the mature can have an enslaving sin. But you just can't admit it. So you got to go undercover and hide it. And the longer you hide it, the shame just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds in your life. So I don't think an enslaving sin is off the table for any of us, actually. I think that's the problem. Oh, if I have an enslaving sin, I'm the immature person, and I, everybody thinks I'm mature. I've been a food addict. Here's a testimony recently. I've been a food addict beginning as a young child. My doctor placed me on a diet in the second grade, and I'm now 67. I have fought obesity all of my life and have never been at a normal weight. 60 years of unsuccessful dieting, diabetes, no self-esteem, and hopelessness. I was sitting at the table at CFC, our coffee shop over here, of which I'm not a member, and read about a program called Heart of Addiction. And I knew God was speaking to me. And I had to ask myself, am I ready to be transformed? I'm now in my 20th week of this Bible study. 
And I've learned that God has given me forgiveness through his son, Jesus, and he has equipped me with the power to change through the Holy Spirit. I'm with a very small group with different addictions. We read weekly and complete a few pages of a workbook. Then in a small, safe Christian group, we discuss God's truth. And I am finally finding freedom and hope for the life God has for me. Yes. Hey, my my heart applauds with everything in me. Because 60 years, that'll make you want to quit. And they didn't. I said, if I always do what I've always done, I'm not going to change. But if I'm willing to do something that I have not done, and address this entangling sin in my life. So, that the program that this individual is talking about is called Be Transformed. Happens on Tuesday nights and Friday nights here at the chapel. And I just would encourage you. If there's been a sin that has remained in your journey and it's been 10 plus years, you probably need to do something you haven't done thus far. So I would encourage you to go to our website, cfcjacks.com, look look at Be Transformed and take a step that you don't keep dealing with the same or not dealing with the same thing you've been dealing with for a lot of years in your life. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. If I'm gonna endure, I need to build a team. He's worthy, he's worthy, don't stop. To look at the weights in my life and go, what are the hindrances that are keeping me? To finally take the steps necessary to deal with the entangling sin in my life. And fourth, to to fix my focus on Jesus. That might seem too churchy for you. But it's not too churchy. Either you're going to fix your focus on Jesus or you're going to fix it on what? Myself, others, or my circumstances. Either of those three will get you to quit. You focus on your circumstances. Like, remember Peter on the boat? Jesus, is that really you? Invite me to come out. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and literally lives a supernatural life, the life that you and I would want to live. He walks on water. And then he goes... Whoa, it's windy out here. Whoa, those are big waves. And he sinks. And you think, see, that's why I don't get out of the boat, because you sink. (laughs) And I would tell you, I'd rather be wet having walked on water than dry having stayed in the boat. I don't see that as failure. I simply see that as, oh, there's more to learn. And what's to learn? When you get your eyes fixed on Jesus, listen, when you get your eyes fixed on Jesus, there is no doubt he is going to call you to do things outside of your comfort zone. Yes? Yes. And you get outside of your comfort zone, then you might start focusing on your circumstances and sink and think, see, I shouldn't do this. No, 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 no. Don't draw the wrong conclusion because you sank. Recognize. It wasn't that I shouldn't have gotten out of the boat. It was that I got my eyes off of the person who had called me out of the boat and the person who was actually causing me to walk on water. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus, not my circumstances. Or the other guys, the other people in my life, like the ones back in the boat who aren't sinking. See, if you look at other people who are ahead of you, that may discourage you. If you look at people who are behind you and failing, that might discourage you. (laughs) 
You seem to look in that way discouraged? Yeah. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? What did it say? He is the author of our faith. He's the only one who will get you in the race. He's the author. Only through what he has done for you by bearing the penalty for your sin upon himself can you even be reconciled to God to begin to live life as God intended. It begins with Jesus because he's the author of faith. And he's the perfecter. He's the only one who's going to get you to the finish line. Some of you, you've made tremendous progress. Don't start looking around at others. Don't start looking at yourself or your circumstances. He's the only one who got you in the race, and he's the only one who'll get you to the finish line. Here's what I know about me. When I am tempted to quit, I have lost my focus on Jesus. And I'm either looking at myself, my circumstances, or other people. And they are giving me reason either by their success or by their failure, because I can work it either way. I just want to quit. But I never think that when my eyes are focused on Jesus. So it's not too churchy. This is real. When I want to quit, it's time to get back into the word of God. You want to quit? I'm telling you, read Psalm 73 and says, I would have quit had I not come into your sanctuary. And then when I met with you, I saw things rightly. And I got back in the race. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then, as you see Jesus, you'll see this. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Hard? I mean, don't, don't just words here. Hard? Yeah, harder than anything you and I will ever, ever face. Let's just acknowledge it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured harder than I'll ever face, despised the shame, more shame than I will ever face, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did he see? He saw past the cross, and he saw again... The reward of right hand of the Father. And what did he hear? He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. Endurance comes when I expect, as Jesus did, God's greater reward. I said at the beginning, knowing these won't help you endure. (laughs) It's just a list. But doing them, would that make a difference? I believe it'll make all the difference. So not knowing, but doing. So what are we going to (laughs) do? We're going to, in the next few minutes, at least get a taste of each of these. Start by fixing our eyes on Jesus as we take the Lord's Supper together. See, one of the reasons, it's okay if you want to put your stuff away, one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper together corporately, it's because it's a time for all of us, here's what the scripture says, to remember his death, to get our eyes back on Jesus. This is why the songs we sing so often deal with what Jesus has done for us on the cross to get our eyes back on Jesus. So guys, come on forward with the elements. I want you to begin to pass. And we're not not just doing a religious exercise. What are we doing? We're fixing our focus on Jesus because that is a key practice to enduring. Thank you. And as we fix our focus on Jesus... It's very specific. He says, 
Fix your focus on the broken body. That he was pierced through for our transgressions. Remember, he endured the cross. I know this is going to be hard for you because you've got a lot of activity going on around you. Don't fix your eyes on the plate. <laughs> fix your eyes on Jesus. Seriously. See. Maybe this seems weird to you, but see him there on the cross. A crown of thorns beaten into his head. People have spit on him. Face bleeding where they pulled out his beard. See him there enduring. The blood running down. From not only a beaten back, but pierced hands and feet. Focus on Jesus who endured. And remember, it was just not a man enduring a horrible death. It was the Son of God taking the wrath, the wrath of God deserved for me and for you upon himself. It was the Son of God who knew no sin becoming sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is Jesus making a way back to God. So taking these elements won't save you, but they remind you of the person and the only one who can. Maybe for the first time this morning, you would cry out to God, I need a savior just like Christine did five years ago. I need a savior. And you will look to Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Ask him to forgive you. Invite him to be the leader of your life. If you've done that in your past, Tell him again, Jesus, I am trusting in you and your death. And now consider that he endured because of the reward. In other words, he did the hard for the later greater. This would be a time for you to examine yourself. Are you taking the easy way out in any way and forfeiting the greater reward? Get your eyes on Jesus and see there that he shows how we live expecting God's greater reward, how we die expecting God's greater reward. Do you have an enslaving sin? For some of you, the last thing you want to do is confess it because you've confessed it a hundred times and nothing's ever changed. And I'm inviting you now, confess it again. All change, all transformation begins with confession, agreeing with God about my sin. Invite the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be afraid to do this. Invite the Holy Spirit to reveal any hindrances, any weights that you continue to carry. They're pleasant, they're nice, but they're slowing you down. 
and they often become a source of wanting to quit. And do you have a team that declares he is worthy? fresh reminder that he is worthy and with fresh gratitude that he endured the heart let's take in remembrance of Jesus stand with me. Let's declare as witnesses together that he is worthy. You are worthy of it strength to be our supply. You're, you're so good to us, Lord, and we, we would just remind us by your spirit in every moment that you are worthy. You're worthy to keep going and you will sustain us. It'll be your work that gets us to the finish line. Amen. Hey, if we can pray for you in any way, we have men and women who are between the auditorium.